You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Well, today we are in part three of our series on the five solas. And the five solas of the church are uh, basically evangelical foundational points um, that differentiated originally the, the Protestant church from the Catholic church. And today, largely the Catholic church would affirm all five of these. Um, and so what we're really trying to do is just kind of get back to some basics for us that we can talk about what our faith is, why these things are important, and, and kind of just get back to basics for us. And so two weeks ago, we looked at the first sola, and it's sola gratia, which is grace alone. Last week, Pastor Todd Stanley uh, preached a great word um, on sola fide, faith alone. And if you missed that or the week before, I would encourage you to go back and get caught up. You can do that on our podcast. You can do that via video. This week, we'll be looking at the idea of solus Christus, Christ alone. Next week is sola scriptura, which is the Bible alone or scripture alone. And then finally, in two weeks, we'll be talking about the idea of soli deo gloria, which is the glory of God alone, that these five ideas are foundational for our faith in Jesus Christ. So these five ideas if you boil them down to a statement, say this, Christians are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. And so what we did two weeks ago is we kind of looked at um, the view of different world religions with grace and how do they approach grace. And, and I want to do the same thing today. We're looking at uh, solus Christus, Christ alone, that, that Christ is not relegated just to Christianity. Did you know that? Almost every world religion has a place for Christ, for Jesus in their faith. Uh, if you look at Buddhism, Buddhism is interesting because Buddhism essentially does not believe that there is a God, that each of us transcend and ascend to higher levels and higher planes. But Buddhists actually believe that Jesus was a Buddhist, that this is how you explain some of his teachings, that he was just a Buddhist. And uh, and what we're going to see, whether it's Buddhism or Hinduism or Eastern religions or um, Islam, all of these faiths incorporate Christ into their doctrine somehow or another. But what we'll see later is it's impossible for Jesus to be who he said he is and still be part of these different world religions. So Hinduism, uh, this is an easy one because Hinduism practically speaking, is polytheistic. That means they believe in many gods. Uh, if you talk to a Hindu, they would say they're monotheistic because there's one, one primary deity in their pantheon who kind of is, is, they would say, over or in charge or that all other gods are subservient to this one god. But practically speaking, they are, they are polytheistic. And a few years ago, a team from Summit, we went to India on a missions trip and we would drive around and we saw shrines everywhere. People had them outside their homes and businesses and there were big formal places of worship, but then they also had shrines all over the place. And I would ask our guides, okay, tell me about, and they would go, I, I don't know that these shrines can be, there's so many gods and you know, these, this family might have a specific God that they pray to and they just invite other people to offer sacrifices to their God. But there's just so many gods, so it makes it really easy for Hindus to hear about Jesus, and they go, oh yeah, I like that. We'll just incorporate him in. That's perfect. He's just another god for us. And this is kind of the way Hindus approach Jesus, is that he is just another option. He's just another god in their pantheon of gods. And really, any Eastern religion, or most Eastern religions, even New Age belief, will incorporate Jesus into their into their faith somehow or another. And it might be something as simple as, um, as twisting some language a little bit, that it's one thing, but we're going to call it something else. Uh, so they incorporate Jesus in where it seems like it's Christian and it seems like it's good, but, but really it's the furthest thing from scripture we're actually going to find. So people like Jesus when it comes to their faith, they incorporate him in. Even Islam, uh, 
The Quran talks a great deal about Jesus Christ. Uh, the Quran talks more about Mary than even the Bible does. So there are a lot of biblical characters that you see that are important to our faith that the Quran uh, co-ops that are in, um, in the holy text of Muslims. Uh, here's, here's the difference though. Islam says that Jesus was a prophet and he was an important prophet, but they also say he was not the son of God. He is not the Messiah. So um, if you're interested, I just wanna cite this so you know that I'm speaking truthfully to you. Um, if you had to look it up in your Quran, cause I'm sure all of you brought a Quran with you today. In Surah 4, 157 through 158, it, the Quran denies that Jesus was crucified, buried and resurrected. Now, what they will say is the Quran says Jesus was a holy man and God, God translated him to heaven. So he was taken to heaven before the crucifixion. So he didn't die for our sins. He was not the Messiah. That someone died, but, but Allah swapped him out. So there was, a, there was a, an imposter. There was a lookalike. Somebody took his place on the cross, but it wasn't Jesus. Jesus was in heaven by then. Um, so, so again, what we see is they would say he's a holy man, but he was not the son of God. He's not the Messiah. Even Judaism, when they look at Jesus, they will say he was a teacher, he was a rabbi. Some would go so far as to say he was a good man. There are Messianic Jews who would say Jesus was the true Messiah, but there is not a space in Judaism and Orthodox Judaism for Messianic Jews. They are something separate outside of Judaism. But what they would say, if you remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago, is in Judaism, there's not really a need for a personal savior because in Judaism, the way to salvation is by obeying the, the law, the Torah, as we'll see in a passage in just a little bit. And so if I just do what the law says, then I'm fine and I don't need Jesus to save me because I can save myself through obedience to the law. I'm good. So there's not really a need for Jesus, but they still say, yeah, Jesus was a good man. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. He was all these things, but he was not the son of God. And here's the thing. Jesus can't be what he said he was and be these things that these religions claim him to be. It's impossible. You can't reconcile these two ideas. We'll come to that idea in a moment. So what about Catholicism? Because this whole thing is based on the, the Protestant church splitting off the Catholic church. So what does the Catholic church say about Jesus? Well, here's the good news. The good news is, um, largely speaking, the Catholic church and their key doctrines on Jesus are in line with the Protestant church. They would hold many of the same tenets, and I would say the core doctrines are the same. Now, there are some secondary things that I would say are less important that we would disagree on. Um, things like communion, whether it's transubstantiation, does the cracker become the literal flesh of Jesus? Does the juice become the literal blood of Jesus? Uh, and Protestants don't believe that it does. Catholics believe it does. Um, to me, that's a secondary doctrine. That doesn't break fellowship because you believe one thing and I believe another. It's secondary to me. Now, here's, here's the issue. And again, I want to remind you what I said a few weeks ago. I don't want to pile on Catholics uh, because there are many, many Catholics who love Jesus and are going to heaven. Just because you're a member of the Catholic Church doesn't mean you're going to heaven, and it doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. Just like being a member of Summit Church doesn't mean you're going to heaven, but it doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. It all comes back to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus? Are you in a relationship with him? Is he Lord of your life? And it doesn't matter how religious you are. If Jesus isn't Lord, God's not impressed by your religious acts no matter what your title is, no matter what your church name is. So here's, here's one of the issues I have with some of the doctrine of the Catholic Church, and it's the doctrine relating to Mary. Now, I gotta be careful, because I know we got some Catholics in our church, and here's the thing. Um, this is different than the Protestant church, and it is a different practice. Uh, it doesn't mean that people who uh, pray to Mary are going to hell or anything like that. It just means it's different. And what I wanna do is try to help you understand their position and I wanna help you understand our position. Does that make sense? So the view of the Catholic Church, number one is Mary is a mediator, that she is a mediator to, uh, for us to Jesus. 
And they call her the mediatrix of all graces. So Mary is a mediator of grace to people. This is the Catholic view. This is the official Catholic view. Now, when I read this, just from my background and my teaching and what I've experienced, what I've seen in the word of God, is that, that scripture makes it very clear we have a mediator. In fact, I wanna read that to you. First Timothy 2, 5, Paul tells Timothy, there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity the man, Christ Jesus. So what he says is we have one mediator between God and man and it's Jesus. Now here's the thing, the Catholic church would say, yep, we agree with that. Mary's job is not to mediate between us and God. Mary's job is to mediate between us and Jesus. So think about it this way. Um, My mother-in-law attends this church. She moved here permanently a while back and I love her very, very much. My mom watches online every service all the time. She's bumping up those online numbers for us. Thank you, mama. And here's the thing. If you wanna get in my good graces, be good to my mama or my mother-in-law. If you are good to them, I'm probably gonna think better of you. And this this is a simplified version of the Catholic thought, but it's Mary was esteemed because she was chosen to carry Christ, carry our savior. And if we wanna find favor with Christ, we find favor with Mary. So we engage Mary as our mediator to Jesus. This is the idea. They also refer to Mary as queen mother. And there's an idea that Mary was um, without sin as she carried Christ, that she was sinless. And it's the idea that Christ through his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, how he redeemed humanity through this atoning act actually retroactively atoned for Mary's sin. So she carried Christ and she was sinless. And so they, they will refer to her at times as the queen mother. There's a special redemption prepared for her for this divine maternity. There's also um, a reference to Mary as an advocate, which is interesting because we just walked through a series in the book of Acts a few weeks ago. One of the things we see in scripture about the Holy Spirit is he's referred to as the advocate. So Jesus actually refers to the Holy Spirit as an advocate for us. Um, and we can't get into all the weeds on this, but the Catholic Church will actually refer to the Holy Spirit as the spouse of Mary at times. Now, before you, those of you that are unfamiliar with this language freak out, you're like, what is, what is going on? Let me, let me help you with that. Um, so A while back, my oldest daughter, Abby, I don't even know if she's in the room. I didn't ask permission to say this. Hi, Abby. A while back, Abby was like, Daddy, I'm done dating. I'm I'm dating Jesus. I'm dating Jesus. And nobody takes that literally, right? It, It is a metaphor. It's an idea that she is dedicated to Christ. He is the most important man in her life. That's what she's saying. And, uh, so fellas, she's dating Jesus back off. Okay. Um, And in the same way, the Catholic Church would say, okay, we don't mean that that she's literally married to the Holy Spirit, but they are are functioning in the same role, that they are both advocates. And uh, and I get get where the the Catholic Church is coming from in this idea. Um, The problem problem is with any of these three ideas is that they're, they're extra biblical, that they fall outside of what we would see in scripture as a description for who Mary is and what she does. Um, and here's the thing. I think the, the Protestant church esteems Mary too little. I think the only time we actually think much of Mary is at nativity, right? Like, oh, my daughter is playing Mary in the church Christmas play. And that's about it many times in a Protestant church. We, we esteem her too little. She was chosen by God to carry Christ, which is a really important role. And unfortunately, too many times in our churches, we overlook this. But I think the pendulum has swung too far in the Catholic church that they esteem her too greatly. And, and not just Mary, but I would also say even even many saints. Now, again, according to Catholic doctrine, they would say, no, no, Christ is preeminent and Mary is below that and there are saints as well. And we pray to saints and we pray to Mary and we pray to Mary as an advocate for us, as a mediator between us and Jesus. But here's the thing. Um, So prayer to saints for many Catholics is very important. And the reason they pray to saints is, is, and this is an oversimplified version, but think about it this way. If I had a need in my life, if I was struggling with something, 
If I was having a hard time with something, I might go to a trusted friend and say, would you pray with me about this? I'm really having a hard time with this. I need a healing in my life. Um, I'm having a hard time in my marriage. Hey, I'm having an issue at work, whatever it is. I would go to a friend and say, would you pray with me about this? And the reason Catholics pray to saints is because the saints are interceding for them. So when I pray to St. Anthony to help me find a lost item, he is interceding for me. That's the Catholic view of prayer to saints. So here's the thing. Um, No matter how you feel about prayer to saints or prayer to Mary, um, I will say it's my conviction, and I feel like the word of God would support this, that we pray in the name of Jesus. We, We have access to God the Father directly through the authority of Jesus Christ that we are seated with him. And so there's not, it's not necessary for us to pray to Mary or saints. But I will also say, um, is that going to send you to hell? Not necessarily. And so some of you that are so freaked out about this idea, I'm not saying we're incorporating it. I'm not saying I'm, I'm endorsing it, but I'm also saying some of you that have judged the Catholic church really harshly, I would say, mm, slow your roll just a little bit. Um, because foundationally, it still comes back to, is Jesus Lord of my life? Is Jesus preeminent? Um, the challenge I think the Catholic Church has is not doctrine and what they teach, it's what they practice. Because I've known many Catholics who they elevate the, their particular saint that they are fond of, uh, and they will pray to their saint exclusively, almost exclusively instead of Jesus. That They will seek the favor of Mary and they will relegate Jesus to a secondary thought. And this can happen in the Protestant church too, where we have ideas about one thing and we know what the truth is, but then we kind of deviate and do our own thing. And so what I wanna help you understand today is, is there's a reason we believe what we believe. And in the doctrine we just talked about from the Catholic church, um, I would say I'm uncomfortable with it because we don't find it in scripture anywhere. It is, it is doctrines that have been taught by the church, Uh, the Catholic Church through the years, and it's been accepted. And so for many people, when you say, hey, why do you pray to, many people would go, I don't know, we just have always done it. And and that's a problem. Um, Because again, it doesn't have foundation in scripture. When you look at one of Martin Luther's primary motivations for his descent of the Catholic Church, he actually wrote, um, he wrote a book in, 1520 called the Babylonian captivity of the church. And in the Babylonian captivity of the church, he compared the the work of the Catholic church in the 16th century to Babylonian captivity of the Jews when they were brought into Babylon. And he talked about it this way, that the only way to find grace was through the priest and through the church. And this is what he described. He described that as an infant, you had to be baptized by a priest in the church. You had to be confirmed as a youth by a priest. You married as a mature person by a priest. You, you received extreme unction on your deathbed by a priest. That each of the sacraments along with ordination were performed and conveyed grace, but they were administered by a priest. Even two further sacraments, the sacrament of, of confession, you have to confess to a priest. And then ultimately, the reception of the, the Eucharist or the communion, it has to be administered by a priest in mass. And, and what Luther was saying is, he was making a case for Christ alone, solus Christus. He was saying, hey, the church has cornered the market on grace, but I think grace is acceptable through Christ. We don't have to go through a priest. I don't have to go to this specific building, this specific church. I don't have to do that. There's access through Christ Jesus that it's not Christ plus something else. It's Christ alone. And so if you feel like I was piling on the Catholic church, I promise I was not. I have great respect for my Catholic brothers and sisters, um, but we definitely have differences in belief. And one of our core beliefs that we have that are similar is that Jesus is the only one way to heaven, that there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved, as we'll see in just a moment. So let me jump in. This is John chapter 14. I'm gonna start in verse one. And this is a passage I referred to earlier, the section of scripture I referred to earlier. Uh, John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is leading his disciples. He's trying to prepare them for the fact that he is going to be crucified and, uh, and life is going to change for them. And so he says this, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. 
If this were not so, would I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that you'll always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Uh, so I'm, I, love our, I love IEP students. I'm so glad to have you guys back. It makes me happy to see you all. And uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for the baseball team. I told you before, I'm, a, I'm the chaplain for the baseball team and I'm grateful for our baseball players. And we got a few of you guys here today. On Friday, I had them over to my house and we had uh, cooked hamburgers and sausages and I, I made brownies. And I experimented and I took Reese's Puffs and made Rice Krispie Treats, but I substituted Reese's Puffs in. It's not as good as you would think it is. I'm, I was disappointed. But I, so I made some food, got some stuff ready. Um, Kim's gone. So Abby helped me. She came alongside. I was like, I'll just take care of this and this. And she did a lot of stuff. But the point is, the guys didn't just show up at the house because I wanted to give them a good experience. I wanted them to feel comfortable. And so I had everything ready for them and they showed up. I was like, here's your food, Take, make yourself at home, get whatever you need. I prepared a place for them. And this is what Jesus is doing for us. He's preparing a place for us. Because what he was saying to his disciples is, hey, I've got to go, things are going to change, but I don't want you to be anxious or nervous or worried because I'm going to prepare a place for you. We will be together. There is something for you. And I am doing the hard work of putting a place together for you. I'm preparing for you. And the reality is, he knew that these guys were gonna deal with stress and anxiety in the days to come. They weren't gonna know what to do or what direction to go. And what Jesus was saying is, you will have hope in me. I'm creating a future for you if you'll just trust me. And here's what I want you to hear today. Hope is found in Christ alone. There is no other hope in this world we can rely on. You can't hope on your 401k or your retirement. You can't hope on your job. You can't even hope on your marriage. But here's what you can hope in. You can hope in Christ alone. We've got some elections coming up. I don't know if you've heard about that. Uh, you know, presidential general elections next year. Got primary elections coming up and people are anxious and worried. And this is the most important election of our lifetime. And many people are putting their hope in a candidate or an election. And I am telling you today, you will be disappointed. Hope is only found in Christ alone. Let me go on, verse four, uh, cha uh, sorry, chapter 14, verse five. So Jesus said, you know, to where I, you, know, you know the way to where I'm going. And what do they say? No, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. How can we know the way? I love how just direct they are. He's speaking in metaphors and they're speaking literally. We, get, we have no clue where you're going, God. Tell us. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He said, wait a second. Do we know each other? Because if you know me, you know the father. Okay, from now on, you, you have seen him because you've seen me. You do know him because you know me. This is what he's saying. But he says, we don't know. We have no idea where we're going. We don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way. Oh, you, you don't know what to do next? I got good news for you. I do. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Now, here's the thing. Jesus can't make a statement like this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we can't, he can't say that and then reconcile this idea with the fact that he was a good teacher or a rabbi or a moral man or a transcendent figure. Because here's the thing. Many of you are teachers. I saw you stand up earlier. If you were teaching your students two and two, seven, that's the solution. Two and two, the sum of two and two is seven. And the kids go home and they tell their, their parents that. You're gonna get a phone call. Somebody's gonna say, can we talk about this? Because I haven't done math in a while, but I'm struggling to reconcile one, two, three, seven. Like that doesn't make sense, right? Because it's not true, it's not factual. And so nobody would say, oh, they're such a good teacher. They, they teach the kids all the wrong things. They are lying to students. What a great teacher they are. That's what we do with Jesus all the time. Other religions will say, what a good teacher he is. And Jesus says explicitly, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There's no life found outside of, uh, found outside of Jesus. There is no pathway to heaven outside of Jesus. And there is no truth outside of Jesus. Jesus makes a statement emphatically, but yet other religions are like, oh, Jesus. We love Jesus, he's awesome. 
you can't reconcile this idea. He's, he's either crazy or he's lying or he really is God. There's no other option besides that. That's what we do all the time. He's such a good teacher. Well, yes, if he's speaking truth. And I believe he is. Let me go on. Romans chapter 10, this is where we're gonna spend a couple of minutes walking through a few passages here together. Romans chapter 10, Paul writes to the Roman church and he starts in verse one and says this, dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know the enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. This is what we talked about a minute ago, that that Jewish people um, outside of Christ are lost. They can be moral. We can have a, a same spiritual ancestry. But at the end of the day, if they believe you can work your way to heaven by being moral, they're lost. This just like Catholics are lost if they think they can work their way to heaven. Just like Protestants are lost if they think they, I can work my way to heaven. If I just obey the law, then I'll be good enough. He says they're lost and they don't even know it. The most lost person you know is the person who doesn't think they're lost. Did you know that? Have you ever argued with your GPS before? The GPS tells you, and you're like, I know, I know where I'm going. And you end up somewhere and you're like, oh, I don't, maybe the GPS knew what it was talking about. <laughs> GPS tells you to turn, you're like, well, I, I'll, I can take a shortcut. You end up in traffic or you end up in a lake, whatever it might be. And you're like, oh no, GPS, you knew. Here's the problem. For, for many people, we think we know the, the way because, it, oh, it's about my background. It's about the, my religion. It's about my experience. It's about my tradition. It's about, I, I know the way. But nobody is more lost than the person who thinks they're not lost. Verse four. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. All who believe in him are made right with God. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all its commands, according to Leviticus 18. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth, or, or don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. So this verse is a little confusing. Let me help walk you through this. What he's saying is Christ has done the work that needs to be done in order for us to experience salvation through him. He's done the work. So nobody needs to go to heaven to bring him down. Nobody needs to go to the place of the dead to bring him up. That's more work. We don't need to do that work. What we need to do is receive Christ. Confess him as Lord. Receive him as our savior. That's it. And see, many people, whether it's Jewish or Catholic or Christian, or Protestant, we will work our way to acceptance in Jesus Christ. Last week, Pastor Todd talked a little about this, that we think if I just work hard enough, then God will love me and accept me. So I'm gonna go to church all the time. I'm gonna read my Bible. And, I'm gonna, and it's not done out of affection or love or devotion. It's done out of, I'm gonna work really hard and God's gonna accept me. And we get exhausted that way. Spiritually, we're exhausted when we work our way to salvation and it's impossible. There, there's nothing harder than trying to earn the favor of God because he's already given us his favor. All we have to do is receive it in Christ Jesus. So what we ultimately find in Christ is rest. Rest is found in Christ alone. So many people are exhausted emotionally and spiritually and I am telling you today, the only place you're gonna find true rest is in Christ. It's not done through accumulating enough. I'll just work longer hours and make more money and that money's gonna help me find rest. Nope, nope. It's gonna bring more heartache. The bright relationship is not gonna fix your rest issue. Nothing will fix it except for relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is, well, Paul's telling the Roman church, hey, you'll find rest in your faith, in your soul, in Christ Jesus. This is why Jesus said, come to me if you are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. If you're carrying things spiritually you can't carry anymore, Jesus says, bring that to me. Give that to me. You don't need to carry that anymore. You're carrying a weight you were never intended to carry. Give that to me. That's Jesus. He wants to give you rest. It's only found in him. 
Let me move on. Romans 10.8 says, in fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you ever heard that verse here before? <laughs> Every week. If you don't know any other scripture, if you attend Summit regularly, you're gonna memorize Romans 10.9, no doubt. For it's by believing in your heart that you were made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. And Paul's quoting Isaiah 28, 16 here. If you confess, if you openly confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. This confession is not just about a prayer that we say one time. It's about, I'm gonna say the right words. It's like, you know, abracadabra, and then I get what I want. That's a quid pro quo. That's not what this is. This is I'm confessing with my mouth that there is one Lord and one Savior, and it's Jesus Christ, Christ alone. I'm confessing with our mouth. But the implication is that the confession doesn't stop with just some words we say. It's our whole life. That's why on Wednesday night, we had a waiting room and I had a worship here and we had 11 people baptized. And what those 11 people were saying is, hey, I'm not just confessing with my mouth. I want my life to be a confession of Jesus Christ. So I am going to be baptized in front of all these people. And some of them were a little nervous, a little anxious, but they were willing to do it because they said, it's not enough that I just say it with my mouth. My whole life is a confession of my affection for Jesus Christ. Christ. And then Paul, in the last part of this verse, he quotes Isaiah 28, 16, or he refers to it. And this is what it says. This is what that passage says. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the nation of Israel. They're in captivity. And this is what God says. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It's a precious cornerstone that is, a, is safe to build on. Whoever build, uh, believes need never be shaken. Whoever believes never, need never be shaken. So he's using this metaphor of the cornerstone. It doesn't make sense to many of us. Uh, we've got some folks in the church that do masonry and they would get this. Uh, if you have a, a, a foundation that's built on stone, like they would build in ancient times especially, and you still see it some today, but if you have a foundation built on stone, what they would do is they would start with a cornerstone. And this cornerstone is a strong stone, a tested stone. They would make sure it would, it would hold up and they would measure the rest of the foundation off the specifications of this cornerstone. So this cornerstone was the standard for the rest of the foundation. And this cornerstone was really important because if the foundation was good, then it would hold if the building was shaken. Now, I grew up in Oklahoma, and Oklahoma's known for tornadoes. But about 15 years ago, they started experiencing a spike of, of earthquakes in the, in the tornado state. We started having earthquakes. And I never, growing up, I never had an earthquake. I never experienced an earthquake. And before we moved here, our girls were little. And um, one night, I was changing a light bulb. I was up on this ladder, and I was changing a light bulb. And like, I got dizzy. I was like, what is going on? Woo, like, whoo. And I've never been drunk. Maybe I am drunk right now. What just happened? I didn't know, had no idea. And like, felt like maybe I had um, um, vertigo or something. But I was like, I don't know what just happened. I got off the ladder and I was standing there and I felt fine. What just happened? And my wife runs in and she goes, babe, did you just feel that earthquake? I was like, it was an earthquake? Like, oh no, like I missed the earthquake. I just thought I had some physical condition. I have no idea what was going on. I'm like, no, I missed it. But here's the thing. The standard of building in Oklahoma for years did not include the idea that earthquakes would come. And so what would happen is older homes would get all these cracks in the foundation that would have issues because the earth was shaken and their foundation was messed up. They'd get cracks in their building and their bricks. And all kinds of things would happen because the standard for their construction wasn't such that it could hold up under an earthquake. And here's what I would say to you today. Many of us have built our lives on a foundation that is substandard for shaking to come our way. So when, when shaking comes our way, when there's opposition in our life, when there's setbacks, failures, heartache of any kind, our world is blown apart and we don't understand why. God, I thought you were good. I thought you would take care of me. And the reality is we have not built our lives on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. He is not the cornerstone of our foundation. He is something we wedge into our belief system like a Hindu might, where we just go, well, I'm Jesus, you'll be part of this. And if I got some time for you, that'd be great. 
But what we're talking about is solidifying our life on the foundation of who Jesus Christ is. And many of us do not do that. And then we're blown away. We're mesmerized by this idea that, wow, God must not be good because this horrible thing happened and now my life has fallen apart. When we build our lives on the firm foundation, it doesn't prevent an earthquake from happening. It allows the house to stand in the face of an earthquake. It doesn't mean that our lives are gonna be problem-free. What it means is we're still gonna have problems, but our, our life will stand in the face of these problems because it's built on the right foundation. See, if you build your house the right way and the earthquake comes, you might still have some issues, but you don't have to worry. You're not gonna constantly be going, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do if an earthquake comes? And after the fact, you're not gonna be going, oh my gosh, I had an earthquake and now my life is destroyed. You're gonna have peace because you don't have to worry. And here's what I want you to hear. Peace is found in Christ alone. There's no other peace. Nothing else in your life is firm. Nothing in your, else in your life is guaranteed. The only thing is Christ. Romans 10, 12. Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. Verse 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. According to Joel 2, 32. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter uh, what your background is. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. None of that matters. What matters is all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm grateful for that. Verse 14. But how can they call on him? To save them unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of those messengers who bring good news. This is why it's so important for us to send missionaries as we're sending a mission team to, to Ireland today. I'm so proud of our church. We've got my wife preached this morning in a church in Dublin uh, with our partner at Hope Center. Steph Ackerman preached there today. This morning, uh, I think right now, Pastor Ricky Ingram is preaching at a, a church in Johnstown today, bringing the word that we are sending people out saying we're carrying the word of God, the truth about who Jesus is wherever we can, wherever we go. We send people because people need to hear the, the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus. This is why we send people out. This is why this is so important. I mentioned this earlier, but Acts 4.12, Peter said this, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, but the name of Jesus it is the only way to heaven. So if you're one of these people that believes that all roads lead to heaven, this is this Oprah theology that if you're just good and moral and you're kind and you're sincere, then everything will work out and we'll all go to heaven someday. It's a lie. It might be the greatest lie perpetrated on the human race that we just think, well, if I'm just good, I'll be fine. It's not true. If you believe the Bible is, is real and true, then this is a lie. Not everybody who's nice and kind and sincere will go to heaven. I will tell you this, um, I've, I've got disagreements with my wife sometimes and I am sincere and I can be sincerely wrong. I don't lose an argument, I win an argument with Kim Massengale. Did you know that? Like she blows me out of the water. I can be sincere, I can really believe what I can believe, and it can still be wrong. There is one way to heaven. There is salvation found under, in no other name but the name of Jesus. Salvation is found in Christ alone. Jesus plus anything is a false gospel. So yes, I need Jesus, but Jesus plus works, then I'm saved. Nope, that's not how this works. Jesus plus this behavior, Jesus plus church attendance, Jesus plus giving in the offering, Jesus plus being moral or good or nice, Jesus plus a family history of religion. Nope, none of that. It's Jesus. Jesus plus anything else is a false gospel. It's not real. It doesn't matter what your parents believed. It doesn't matter how often you go to church. None of that stuff will save you. Jesus alone is our salvation. He is our savior. Let me move on, verse 16. But not everyone welcomes the good news. 
For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? There are people that will reject the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not our responsibility to say yes or no for people. It's our responsibility to present the gospel to them. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. The good news about Christ. Solus Christus, Christ alone. That's it. <laughs> Some of our Ireland team was scooting out. I read to you earlier the passage from John 14. In John 14, where Jesus said, you know the way, and then Thomas says, we don't know the way. What, what, what way? How do we get there? And Jesus responds and tells him, let me read verse eight to you. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Because Jesus said, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. He says, you know God and you've seen him because he's implying, because I am God. And then Philip says, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you this whole time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Now here's the problem. Philip said, show us God and that will be enough. And here's the implication. You're not enough, but this will be. If you show us God, that'll be enough. And the problem is Philip didn't actually know who Jesus was. He didn't know that Jesus was the son of God. He was God incarnate on planet earth. If he was, he wouldn't have, if he did know that, he wouldn't have said that, but he didn't. So he said, show us God. We wanna see God. Jesus, you're not enough. And I gotta be honest with you. There have been times in my life that I'm, the, I'm a pastor and I'm a preacher and all that kind of stuff. That in my personal life, I felt like, Jesus, you're not really enough. Jesus, you're pretty good, but you'd be even better if you gave me what I wanted. Jesus, you're pretty good, but if you're really good, if you really wanted me to love you, you'd make the church grow. Jesus, if you're really good, uh, if you really want me to love you, you'll, you'll give me this, this stuff. You'll take care of this. You'll bless this. You'll help this. And what happens is, for many of us, Jesus is not enough. We have a moment like Philip where we go, Jesus says, hey, follow me. Hey, hey, you, you can see God if you've seen me. And we go, yeah, but how about if you just do this? I mean, you're great and all, but. And a prayer uh, that I've been praying lately, um, just in my personal time, is this really simple prayer I wanna share with you. Let my heart be content in Christ alone. Let my heart be satisfied in Christ alone. Because what happens too many times is we will get into a situation and we'll go, okay, Jesus, you're good, but if you really want me to be satisfied, you'll give me this stuff. You'll, you'll bless me. I've been praying for this. Give me this and then I'll be satisfied. And Philip said, show us God and I'll be satisfied. See, what he was saying is Jesus is not enough. And, and what I've been praying is, God, even if you don't answer my prayers the way I want you to, let Jesus be enough. Because here's the problem. Uh, in, in Western Christianity, we've, and heaven's really important, don't get me wrong, heaven's important. But we have sold heaven to such a degree. Oh, they're pearly gates. Streets of gold, you'll get a mansion. Just sign on this dotted line. Say this prayer and this is what you'll get someday. Then what happens is heaven is the goal and Jesus is just a mean to an end. Okay, yes to Jesus, now get me to heaven. Yes to Jesus, now give me what I want. I got, Jesus, I wanna be a better husband and I heard if I sign up here, you're gonna help me be a better husband. That's what I want. Jesus, I know you can give me healing, so if I, if I sign up, if I get on your team, you'll give me healing, get blessing, whatever it is. I want that, so Jesus, yes to you. And here's the thing. I want you to get this. I want this in our hearts and in our souls. Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the end. Jesus doesn't help us get the prize. Jesus is the prize. And what if we started looking at Jesus the way he was inviting his disciples to? Hey, you wanna see God? 
if you know me, you've seen God. That Jesus is the prize. That Jesus isn't a means for me to get what I want. Really, in my heart, Jesus is what I want. So God, let me find my contentment in Christ alone. I don't need all the stuff. I don't need the things. I don't need you to do all these things for me. I'm gonna find my contentment in Jesus. You're enough for me, Jesus. That's my prayer for you, is that we will be mature enough to be in a place where we don't make demands on Jesus. We simply say, you're enough. I don't need anything else other than you. If you don't know Christ, if you've never surrendered your life to him, or maybe you realize today you've been very religious, but you've never actually walked with him, today's your day. I'm gonna turn it over to our host in Blairsville. They're gonna close out our time, give you a chance to respond. I love you guys so very much. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Let's pray together. <laughs> Jesus, I'm sorry for the times that I've been immature and selfish, for the times that I would have never said it out loud, but in my heart, you weren't enough for me. I'm sorry that I, I put demands on you, that if you were really good, you'd do this or this or whatever it may be. And I pray, Lord, today you to remind me that you are not only enough right now, you have always been enough. God, I pray that my deepest contentment in my life will be found in you alone. God, I pray that that would be our heart as a church, corporately, that God, more than anything else, we want to know you and we want to share your goodness with the people we come into contact with. We don't need to dress it up. We don't need anything else. So God, remind us today that Christ alone is all we need. I pray for those that are here today that maybe have never surrendered their lives to you truly. Maybe they've been very religious. They've done all the things. They've gone through the motions, but the reality is they don't know you and you don't know them. And I pray today would be the day that they would say yes, that they would accept this beautiful invitation to know you and be known by you and to walk with you. So God, let today be the day. Lord, I pray for those that are here that would consider themselves Christians, but they recognize today that they've been working for their salvation. I pray today we would find rest in you. I pray that the peace and the hope and the rest and the salvation that we desperately need, we would recognize that it all flows from you and you alone. So I pray we would stop our search. We'd surrender to you today. Now, nobody's looking around, your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you'd say, Mel, I know I'm not really serving God. I know I'm not in a relationship with Jesus, but I want to. I wanna walk with him. It's not about the religion. It's not about the, any of the stuff today. I just wanna know him. I'd love to pray for you. If you say, Mel, that's me today. I wanna to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. So if you say, Mel, that's me, pray for me. I wanna be included in this prayer to surrender my life to him. Would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. If you say, Mel, that's me, pray for me today. I wanna to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. I see you, man. Thank you. Up in the balcony. Thank you. On my left, I see you. Yeah, thanks, sir. In the center section. Thank you. On my right. Who else would join these today and say, Mel, pray for me. Include me in this prayer. I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. Yeah, thank you. In the center section, man. Praise the Lord. We read this verse earlier, Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're gonna pray a prayer to get today that I'm gonna give you the words to say, but this is not my prayer. You're not just gonna say these words mindlessly. This is your prayer from your heart to God. I'm just giving you the words to say. So I want you to pray this prayer with me. Everybody in the place, say this out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life is surrendered to you. Use me for your glory. Help me find my contentment in Christ alone. 
Help me never go back to my old ways or my old life. But from now on, I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that and you meant it, Scripture says you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You're building your house on the right foundation. It doesn't mean earthquakes won't come. What it means is your house won't crumble when the earthquakes come. So we want to help you. And do me a favor. It'll take you one minute to do it. If you would, fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you. Then take it to our next step table when we finish here in a moment. Uh, Pastor Todd's gonna be there to help you, to answer questions, and just to point you in the right direction. And if you had a brand new baby that was learning to walk, you wouldn't just say, good luck, baby. I hope that works out. What would you do? You'd walk with that baby. You'd hold the baby's hands. You'd put the baby in position to learn to walk. And that's what we wanna do. We wanna walk with you and help you learn to walk in your faith. So please take a minute, fill out that card, stop by the next step table. If you'd prefer, maybe you're watching online, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000. Let us know about your decision that way. And even if you do it virtually or online, please stop by and let our team talk to you. We wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey. And here's what's gonna happen right now. Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in one more song. And we're gonna sing about the, uh, the supremacy of Christ in this last song, who he is. And while we're singing this last song, our team's gonna be available to pray for you. And if you need anything at all, if you've got any need in your life, please do not leave here without letting us pray for you. Our team would love to pray about whatever's going on in your life with you. And if you need a miracle, today's your day. I believe God's got a miracle waiting for you if you'll just simply step out and trust him. Uh, even after we close out in just a moment, our team's gonna be here, we'd love to pray for you. So why don't you stand your feet all over the room as we worship together one more time before we go. I hope you guys know this. I love you so very much. And I am so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have an awesome day. And we'll see you next weekend. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.